This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. And now, Christ and Pop Culture presents Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson. Thanks for joining the conversation today. I'm Erin Straza, and with me is Hannah Anderson. We're your hosts for Persuasion, the place where fine ladies, rational minds, and the best kind of company gather to discuss all sorts of ideas and issues. We are so glad to be back with you after our little break from our fall series, Talking About Talk. And Hannah, we're so glad we get to start a new series today. We do. And I don't know if you've noticed this, Erin, but we are officially in the Christmas season. I have noticed that. Well, it's hard to I, miss. I really have. It's hard to miss. It's, it's been going on for quite a while now already, sadly, even though Thanksgiving just wrapped. Yes. So it seems like as soon as you put the leftovers into the refrigerator, if you're lucky, you can wait that long. Everything just immediately flips to Christmas. So, you know, I saw pictures of people getting their Christmas trees out on the Friday after Thanksgiving. Um, I think, like, all the Christmas specials start airing, like the Hallmark Hallmark Channel starts having all of their uh, Christmassy... Those romantic all those films. comedies. Yeah, yes. yeah. I think they show one a day from, like, Thanksgiving Seriously. to Christmas. Yes. It's like a whole series of, of uh, get your fix of everything coming together on Christmas and being perfect. It's quite something. Yeah. But, but then to give the networks credit, though, we do have our anti-Christmas kind of shows, too, like Charlie Brown Christmas special. I mean. That's anti-Christmas. Well, it, uh, it might be the most Christmassy thing you watch. But yes. it does, it's kind of antithetical to kind of the Hallmark Christmas, though. Right. Oh, sure. Sure. I would agree with that because it's almost like Charlie Brown Christmas. I mean, the heart of it, I love. And I think that it becomes really, I, I actually, I think it is the most real in terms of how Christmas can go um, with Charlie Brown and his friends and all of the mishaps and the angst. I feel like it's the most real. So it's the most anti-Christmas in terms of anti-U.S. Christmas or anti, um, I guess, biblical Christmas or something like that. Um, it definitely has some depth to it. And it it's almost like a little reprieve from all of the saccharine shows that you can watch between Christmas or between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Yeah, it does. I mean, for me, it's hard to watch like the first half of it. I just get so <laughs> depressed. <laughs> yes. I'm like, oh, poor kid. Oh, I my know. goodness. It's like one thing after another. <laughs> it is. But I think it's also, like you said, it is very uh, true. And, and that makes it beautiful and compelling. And I think, interestingly enough, it does 
it's a tradition for a lot of families to watch the Charlie Brown Christmas special, but I think it also evokes that kind of broader tradition of Advent um, mm. where there is this necessary kind of longing and discouragement and depression before you get to the end, you know, where mm-hmm. you get the true mm-hmm. meaning of Christmas. H- have you seen like this whole increase in interest around Advent? I have. I've noticed it. And because I did not grow up actively going to church and attending church, Advent was not part of my growing up. And so then as an adult, um, being a Christian and going to church, the churches I've attended haven't done a a strong emphasis on Advent. And so in recent years, when people have talked about it, my curiosity is piqued because I don't know that much about it. And um, I'm curious how that fits in with Christmas celebrations. Um, I have received a few Advent devotionals that I've enjoyed, but I have to say that as a family, this isn't something that we actively observe. And so um, to see it growing and um, almost taking on a, a new life, I'm curious about that and, and why that is, um, what's stimulating that. And um, if people who always observed Advent, if they feel like it's um, changing it, if, if all the attention on it, if it's being changed. Well, I have really family. mixed feelings about it because I didn't grow up with Advent either. Um, my husband grew up with an Advent calendar, which was a um, really like a, a wall calendar that his mother had made. And they put an ornament on for each day leading up oh, to sure. Christmas. But it mm-hmm. wasn't like this Advent calendar that rewards you every day. Like with a piece of chocolate or some kind of sweet treat. Yes. Oh, now I think I did have one of those. So that's my only <laughs> history like, with Advent it was is a having legitimate, the one with the chocolate. It was like a legitimate oh, yeah. reminder. It's not Christmas yet. It's not Christmas right. yet. It wasn't a, <laughs> here's another thing for you to enjoy in this extended period of Christmas before Christmas actually happens, which I feel like is happening with Advent where I think even though we're using the language of Advent, we're not actually doing it right. So like, so you don't think that the Advent calendars that say, here's a pair of socks or try some new tea or some wine every day, that's not quite the same right. as what traditional Advent like, would be? The point of Advent mean? is not to extend the Christmas celebration from Thanksgiving to Christmas Day. Like, Traditionally, the point of Advent is to be miserable (laughs) because you're waiting and longing for Christmas to come. And like in really high church liturgical traditions, you don't even start Christmas feasting or celebration until the day of. So like you've got four weeks of just being miserable before (laughs) you get to have any Christmas sweets, sugar, decorations. All of that doesn't come until Christmas Day. Um, it's kind of like the way Lent leads up to the resurrection or Easter, mm-hmm. but like, and, that's and not the way we're using it. No, but, but you're saying that in the traditional Advent celebration or observance, I should say, you are preparing for four weeks being mindful. And then once Christmas is here, that's when the celebrations begin. Right. Because here's really what's happening at Advent. This is how um, maybe to think of it. 
You're basically in the last four weeks of pregnancy the same way Mary was. So all of the horribleness that happens in those last four weeks where you just can't wait to have this child out of your body because you are swollen and you are big and you are tired and you can't sleep and, and you know, the baby's kicking your ribs and you're sore and bruised. All of that is how you should feel during Advent. <laughs> That's a completely different approach. And I'm guessing this is why... Um, the marketplace hasn't latched on to that version. Right, that probably <laughs> doesn't How do you sell. package that? How do you sell that? You can't sell that. I, I can see why um, that parallel, um, it, it's to increase the desire for the celebration uh, rather than celebrating every day between Thanksgiving and Christmas where it's almost like you are on a perpetual feast or a perpetual party circuit or something like that. The way that we do Advent, it's much more of a how much joy can we cram in between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Like we're basically taking what traditionally was two weeks of celebration after Christmas between, you know, Christmas and Epiphany um, Mm -hmm. in the religious calendar, and we're extending it to like six weeks of celebration. You know, because you've got the four weeks of Advent, the weeks between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And then, for goodness sake, we're just going to keep those two extra weeks anyway. <laughs> that's, that's recovery. Right. That's our recovery And so mode. what we've done is we've created like four to five weeks of consumption, which I don't think that right. a human being can sustain, quite frankly. <laughs> no. But no. I, this is probably why when I get to Christmas, um, I'm just ready to take a big nap because I feel like, oh, there have been too many things happening and I just feel so tired. Um, but it's not in the same sense that you are talking about where it's this buildup of longing to then be satisfied. It's, it's more like, I'm so glad Christmas is here because now I get to stop. And, and that's, I mean, that's problematic in itself. There are all sorts of things contributing to that, but the way that Advent traditionally would be observed, it would be a focus, um, looking to things that you are longing for and wanting and looking ahead to. That That's hard for us to do. Yeah. And I think it happens for us naturally around the holidays, but we try to suppress it. So mm-hmm. I think what happens naturally is in all the busyness and in all of the family gatherings, we, we have this hint of sadness um, and, and we can experience some of the longing because we see the brokenness around us. But because we've been conditioned that this is a feast or a celebration time for all of these weeks, I think it can be tempting for us to want to not focus on the brokenness, to push it away and to make this kind of artificial joy or this artificial peace and love um, that we think is supposed to be associated with Christmas and then try to sustain it for four to five weeks. And I that's just almost humanly impossible. And I think what's mm-hmm. a better thing for us to do, perhaps in preparation for Christmas, is to go ahead and spend time focusing on how miserable we are and how miserable we would be if we didn't have Christmas. 
which is why we're going to launch this series. We have a mini series for all of you listeners out there. We're calling the series Lessons and Carols. This first episode is called Blue Christmas. And so this first one, we are going to talk a bit about that longing that comes up at Christmas time, especially in the midst of our relationships and looking at how do we um, look at that that misery aspect that Hannah just mentioned, <laughs> that what what's going on in our hearts and souls and what is it that we are longing for and wishing, um, that tends to come up because we're around family so much. Right. And I want to make in the holidays. this clear, like this is not misery that we have to produce. It's not like... <laughs> oh, no, it's there. It's not like we have to... <laughs> create ways to make our lives horrible. I think we just need to give ourselves permission to acknowledge how hard they are. And that's Mm -hmm. not something that we can do easily or safely when you're in this constant um, season of celebration. And so if you go into the Christmas season after Thanksgiving as, oh, now we now need to have all this goodness. Now we need to have all of this abundance and life and joy and light. Um, It can be hard to create space to acknowledge, um, I'm not happy. Um, Mm -hmm. I have difficulties in my life. This isn't easy. Celebration itself is not easy when you live in these broken spaces. And, And one of the most, um, pointed places where we experience this kind of misery is in our family relationships or in our relationships with friends or in community and brokenness because we're in this time that's supposedly filled with joy and relationship home for the holidays right but I don't know that any of us really experience the kind of wholeness and love that the season suggests we should be And I think that's key there, that phrase, what the season suggests, because so much of our our expectation is built on the things that are crafted, things that we see, such as perhaps those those Christmas specials on the Hallmark Channel where we are seeing everything, perhaps, Perhaps. maybe that, and uh, things turning out just right, or or the picture of everyone around the table and everything is peaceful and settled and everyone feels connected. You're getting this feeling from these images where, or maybe we're projecting into that what we presume the perfect family would be, the perfect celebration would be. And so into that, we, we see these things and then we look at our own lives and there's no way they're going to be that. So right away, it's a mirror telling us things are not right. And, and it starts in our own hearts and our own homes. And then, like you said, family and church and other community, um, our whole nation, there are things that are just not right. And what do we do when those two things don't line up? Um, that is producing a lot of sorrow in in hearts and and I think that we have to face that that things just aren't right in the world mm-hmm. and you know one of the things that comes to mind that illustrates this is just the insane popularity of Mariah Carey's all I want for Christmas is you like <laughs> that song has taken over playlists like you cannot just turn on Pandora or um, Spotify it's there, it's there. And you're out shopping and it's everywhere. And I think part of what 
that tells us is that we expect this romance to be attached to Christmas too. It's not just the family dynamics. It's like we expect all of our romantic, emotional desires to be fulfilled through this holiday. Like something magical Mm -hmm. is going to happen. Something special is going to happen in our um, romantic lives. And in my experience, the exact opposite is true. And I don't have stats for this, so I'm just going to speak anecdotally. But having been in ministry for, oh, I don't know, what, 15 years now with my husband, uh, we have seen this pattern where we actually see more breakups over Christmas than people getting together. Because what happens is you have this expectation of this loving family or this romantic fulfillment or all the Kay Jeweler commercials. I I was just going to say that. It's always giving this big gift of some 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 romantic jewelry, right? Yeah, yeah. And all the romance. And you actually begin to expect it. And so you see the present under the tree and then it's not the necklace. You know, it's not the diamond bracelet or whatever. But this gap between our expectations for the holiday and the lives we actually lead becomes so profound that what I've seen happen is people can't stand the gap anymore. And like through the rest of the year, they're busy and they're going about their work and life and the structure of family life just kind of carries them along. And the underlying difficulties in a marriage or in a family become more pronounced during the holidays and you feel it more deeply, even though nothing has changed specifically. It's just your sense of the dysfunction is greater because you see Mm -hmm. around you this loss. You know, you're experiencing this loss while you're being told, no, you should have this perfect romantic relationship or you should have this and it's possible and it's It's out there right by our necklace they're showing it yeah i mean somebody's getting necklaces and somebody is getting all those cars with the big bow on the top because someone knew somebody loved them and wanted it yeah right and so i think even beyond the romantic side of it i think even just within relationships in general i think that our way of celebrating christmas points to if you are really known and really loved, people will automatically know what you want, the deepest desire of your heart, and you will get that on Christmas. And so I think that it does build up this desire that we're known, we're doted on, and we're cared for, but through these gifts. Um, and I'm not saying that gifts aren't nice. It is nice to be surprised. But I think that it sets us up for that needing to be the end result so that it's proof that these things are good in our lives. And that creates a lot of sorrow because very few of us can have that consistently and certainly not every single day from Thanksgiving until Christmas. It's exhausting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and that thing about the expectation of gifts and being known and loved, that is so true. And it's not just the consumption or the gift It's that you want this other person to know you and and you don't want to have to tell them what to get you like you want them to just know or to find something yeah we had last year it was so funny it was horrible funny um we had gotten my youngest he was eight at the time a christmas gift it was this big box and 
my husband and I had decided what we were getting him and it was something we thought he would enjoy and he would like. And so it's wrapped up and it's in, in the house and it's this huge box. And he gets in his mind what it was. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. And it wasn't that thing. And <laughs> so he unwrapped it and he had expected it to be this massive train set because that's what he had longed for. It's what he had wanted. And it was a bike and it wasn't what he wanted. And so he just burst into tears. Oh, I mean, he no. was so angry. He felt so hurt and he ran out of the room. And it wasn't that he didn't want the bike. It was this disappointment, not just of oh, yeah. not getting what you expected or wanted, but like, how could you not know me? <laughs> right. I don't right. want a bike. I want a train <laughs> I set. I want the train. Uh, isn't that the worst? Because it it's not that you didn't get him anything. It's that you didn't know the one thing that he was wanting. And that feeling of being known and, and belonging and um, feeling like someone knows you so well that they, they have a read on you. Um, I mean, that longing, I think, is profound and why I think Christmas can be so difficult for everyone. Um, whether you are married, single, kids, no kids, widowed, I mean, any scenario, whatever relationship status you are in, there is pain because those relationships, whatever they are, we're never meant to bear up under that sort of pressure to fulfill our every longing and need. And so our attempt to look to these things to fill us up, I think that's what is making Christmas. I think it's more obvious that at Christmas that things aren't the way that we want them to be and our hearts need them to be really. Right. And, and I think you feel the isolation. Oh, yeah. So you're surrounded totally. by people all you know, Christmas season, whether you're going to parties or church events or family gatherings, but you can feel immensely lonely in those moments. And like yeah. you said, not seen, not understood, not in deep connection with mm -hmm. your spouse or your children or your extended family. And so I think one of the things that we have to sit with is that kind of isolation that's part of the human experience and that sense of being misunderstood, not seen, oh, yeah. um, and isolation, really, that, that mm -hmm. doesn't happen just at Christmas time, but might be um, more pronounced at Christmas time because you're supposed to feel connected. You're supposed to feel loved in community um, mm -hmm. and, and you don't. We had, um, either last year or the year before, we had talked about singleness at the holidays, and I can put that link up in the show notes. But we had talked about that, that distinct feeling that a single person has in terms of moving through the holidays and feeling alone. And um, I, I think that that sort of grief seems to be heightened at Christmas because um, so many things are family related and, um, it, it feels like there's this automatic lack because you aren't the one with a family. Maybe you're going to events alone or, um, you go to your family gatherings and 
people are asking you about your love life, if there is one, and what are, you know, are we going to have a wedding in the future? All the questions that come with that. And, and it just sort of heightens that sense of, I am so alone. Um, but on the flip side, I also think that there is a different kind of grief for, um, a marriage relationship where the marriage isn't going the way that you want it to go because you feel like, okay, I have someone, but this isn't what I had hoped for. And now here we are. And unless you're going to move toward separation and divorce, you're like, wow, here I am in this marriage and I don't have hope for it to change. And that is a different kind of grief. So I think both of those things come up at Christmas, the potential relationships that aren't there. And then the relationships that you have that don't seem to have potential. (laughs) Both of those things are very straining and um, sorrowful. That's a very good way of putting it, Erin. The potential for relationships versus being in a relationship that doesn't have potential. Mm -hmm. And I think that those kind of griefs are not in competition with each other, but they are distinct. And I don't think we always, as much as we don't recognize the grief um, of singleness at the holidays, I, I think there's also this kind of hidden or mass grief of people who are in marriages or in family relationships that don't have potential. Um, mm-hmm. because nobody's going to ask you, so are you staying together? You know, like if you show up at the holidays and you're single, so are you seeing anyone? I mean, it's painful for that question to be asked if you're not, but at the same time, if you're struggling in a marriage and you're showing up at the holiday gatherings and you're supposed to just perform at a happy marriage. Oh, yeah, that's, ex- that's, that's exhausting and painful too. It is. And nobody's and caring. isolating in its own way. It is. And no because you feel like, oh, well, here I am. I've got to put on this, this show. There, no one's caring for the health uh-huh. or your safety or your security in that relationship. And so that is an extremely isolating experience in the holidays. And one thing that I think we have to cling to and the hope we have is that ultimately – Christ coming into the world as a baby, um, he did come to bear the isolation with us, Mm -hmm. to experience Mm -hmm. the isolation, not just to have a quick fix, but to enter into the human condition, to experience um, loss of relationship, to experience... um, not being understood. Like what's fascinating to me about the incarnation is that we know the story of the virgin birth, but when Christ, when Jesus, the child was born, like he would have been seen a certain way and misunderstood Mm -hmm. and never fully known for who he was. And so It's not just, you know, his childhood or his upbringing, but like his whole life was one of misunderstanding who he was um, and Mm -hmm. not connecting with him in the fullness of knowledge, but also his life and his entering into this human isolation, the state of isolation, testifies to the fact that we we are known by the father. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I appreciate what you're saying about how we need to enter into that, that misery in terms of acknowledging it, that it's there, because 
this is what the Lord did. I mean, he came and entered into it and acknowledged that this is for real. Like we are broken people who are isolated from from him, from each other, inside our own selves, we have brokenness and discord. And and to acknowledge it, it's sort of like, okay, here we are. We're at square one. This is where we are. This is the honesty part. And from here, recognizing our lack and our need, then turning to him and knowing that he experiences it and we're not alone in it, that is huge. Um, but not easy to do. Um, it, it takes, it takes some courage to face the things that are really painful and disappointing in life, especially with relationships. And that's hard. Um, right. But I think the alternative is a superficial Christmas, right? Well, this is true. Yeah. So you can have the Hallmark Christmas, you can have the, and you can enjoy it. We're not, you know, Go ahead, watch your Hallmark movies. They bring you joy. (laughs) We're not saying don't watch that. But I think there's something about um, the experience of Christmas that must include an acknowledgement of our isolation in order to understand the the love that comes at Christmas. It's not Mm -hmm. just this Mm -hmm. human romantic love. It is like this Mm -hmm. profound existential cosmic embrace where the God of the universe enters into our isolation and says, you are not alone. God is with us. God is with you. This is Emmanuel. He is near. He is present. He sees, he knows, and he is with you, even as you feel so isolated from everyone else. Oh, that is a good word. I needed to hear that. Thanks, Hannah. I really appreciate that. And I, I'm trusting that all of our listeners are connecting with all this too. Um, as we wind down for this episode, though, um, do you have a question of the day we do. for us? Yay! What gift have you received, maybe as a child, as an adult, that made you feel seen and known and loved? Maybe it was something that completely took you off guard and someone gave you a gift, small or large, I mean, even it may not have been at Christmas time, but when you opened it, you had this profound sense of connection and this sense that this person does get me. I like that. I can't wait to hear what people have to say. Okay, I don't have a script now, so what do I say? <laughs> okay. This is where you tell people to go to Twitter. Okay. So come on out and tell us what your gift was. Um, we're, we're at Twitter. You can find us at Persuasion CAPC. And of course, if you're a Christ and Pop Culture member, you can always um, chat that up in the members forum. Tell us what gift you received, when you got it, and how it made you feel. And we want to say thanks to Jonathan Clausen. He produces Persuasion and all the other shows in the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. You can listen to them at christandpopculture.com. You can go to iTunes. And when you're at iTunes, we would love your ratings and reviews. We are so thrilled that you are with us and we look forward to the rest of the shows in this series. We thank you for listening to Persuasion and we will catch you next time. You have been listening to Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson. 
an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes and check out our other shows at christandpopculture.com slash network. Theme music by Maiden Name. This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.